What's up, everybody? This is the Console Crusade Podcast. Here we talk retro games, video game news, and never retro games. My name is EJ Olson, and joining me to talk some shit about not retro video games is my man Nick Durheim. What is up? I mean, yeah, we don't really talk about retro games. It's in the title. We plan on it. We have, we've talked about it. We have a series in the works. We think about it real hard sometimes. We we even we even text about it on the, on the rare occasion. Yeah, we're like, yeah, did you, did you hear about that retro game? And then the other person will probably, oh yeah, dude, I was just thinking about that. Did, did you hear about that retro game that was just announced? <laughs> that game that came out 30 years ago? We're putting in the hard work so you don't have to. <laughs> hey, we do have a series coming up that we are eventually going to do. Uh, do you want to tell the, the, the good folks what it's called? No, because we probably won't ever actually get around to doing it. Damn it! <laughs> it's such a great name. I mean, how long how long did it take us to go from planning this podcast to actually launching it? Like, I think six months. Now, was it that long? So, uh, yeah, maybe August, August to January. That's that's four months, but still, that a lot of time. The incubation period has been strenuous. Although it's because we struggled with the, you know some of the technical aspects, dialing things in and make because we we recorded we recorded probably in November. So we, we've been trying. Uh, you know, I, I actually just last night pulled up the video from the first pod we did together when you were down in Eugene. That would have been so fresh if it actually worked. Dude, well, here's the thing is I have the the unaltered video with just the camera mic. So I'm curious if there's something I can do to get in and make that just usable. Because I think that could be interesting if we put that on the YouTube. It, it's it's a good, it's a good conversation. I had a good, it's a good two and a half hours we had together. The the first one or the second one? The first one. Fuck the second one. Yeah, the second one was rough. But the first one, we were both pretty tired by the end of it, though. That's okay. We it was a good it was a good conversation. I had a couple of beers it, in me, and yeah, that's true. Probably our strongest conversation yet. I was thinking that you were talking about when you're talking about using the uh, the camera mic that you would replace the audio because it was my microphone that was cutting in and out because it was plugged into a different USB or something. And your computer was like cycling. It was like, oh, what's this? Yeah. Like it would turn off every 30 seconds or something. Fucking sketchy. That you would manually go through and like sort of a sketch in with the, the camera microphone to fill in those. I don't know. I'm just going to take, I'm just going to take the audio from the camera for the entire two and a half hours. See if I can make it bearable. I can raise the levels. I can do some noise reduction and, and just see what happens. And if it's if it's usable, we'll put it up with a little little warning, a little caveat. Say, hey, this is our first pod. If you want to get to know the the men behind the console crusade, the console crusaders themselves. Here you go. Here's a little here's a little deep cut, a little behind the scenes for you. That could be cool. Next time you record, or we record with a with a camera, get a boom mic. I just want to I just want to warn you for for booming the shot. That's all I want to do. God damn it. <laughs> It's a good bit. <laughs> I know you've been thinking about this since November when we did it. You're like, if only he had a boom mic, I could warn him about this boo. I've been, uh, yeah, dude. Not a day goes by where I'm not thinking about boom. Mics. <laughs> this boom bit has been gestating. It's just it's so cool sounding. It's uh, a boom mic. <laughs> oh god. Well, what the fuck are we talking about today? We're talking about game news, of which there's a ton. Yeah, what happened? It was all like pretty much today. Today being Thursday for those people that are catching this after the fact aka everyone because there's no way this is coming up tonight <laughs> hell no we literally just posted episode six today that was the second of february and this is the ninth you'll be listening to this probably on the 16th <laughs> of of next year <laughs> february 2018 
video game news. Hey, I mean, for all intents and purposes, that's when Fractured Butthole might even be coming out. Don't you mean intensive purposes, Nick? <laughs> oh, God. That intense, bro. No, when people say that, there's this band that I listen to that I really enjoy. Uh, and there's this line, probably the second, maybe the strongest song on the entire EP. It just, it, it's a banger, dude. It goes hard. But there's this line right in the right in the buildup of the song, right before the climax, where he's like, for all intensive purposes. And I'm like, no, no. That's not how he sounds. He can actually sing. That also wasn't the correct melody. But he says intensive. And every time he does it, no matter where I'm at, whether I'm singing to myself or in the car, I always have to make sure I like belt that line out properly so I can't hear his fucking intensive purpose. That's not a, that's literally not a phrase. That it doesn't mean anything. It could mean what you want it to mean. No, it means intense and purposes is what it means. I mean, a lot of things don't mean anything, but do mean something. You can't just throw him under the bus because he says it wrong. I, I can't. It's not like his job is to, you know, say words in a melody and make sure those words are right and those melodies are right too. Yeah, as 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 a man who writes, he's a lyricist. Apparently like, not. Ugh, <laughs> drives me fucking crazy. Uh, although I am looking forward to their full length album, I want to see if I can catch any of those sort of those sort of slip ups because you know I fucking will. I'm on it, dude. Like a like a I don't know what's a euphemism I can use here. Like a spider monkey. I was thinking more like a in there like swimwear. That's a good one. That's a classic. I don't know what that means. Are you gonna when they release the next album? Are you gonna tweet at them every time there's a, a grammatical error? Oh, absolutely. And I'll just, I just actually, you guys, you, you, you misused the the tense in this sentence. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna get with every single one on Twitter, and then it's gonna be hashtag intensive purposes. <laughs> like that's how you know y'all can find me in three months tweeting at these fellas hashtag intensive purposes. Oh, that's rough. All right. So anyway, you 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 tried to segue there before I went off the rails about sound. Oh, you got mad about my my intents and purposes. <laughs> God damn it! You're 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 bringing up South Park, the fractured butthole. What the fuck happened with this game? I didn't hear about this until you brought it up tonight. Yeah, it was real weird. I mean, we haven't heard anything about it since they delayed it last time, which it was supposed to come out what December, early December, twenty sixteen. Yeah, something like that. And then they're like. Now, there's no way we can hit that date. We're pushing it to quarter four, which is between January and March. It is now February, and they're like, nah, that's not going to happen. So they're pushing it till fiscal year 2018. <laughs> it's coming so out in quarter one through four. We don't know which yet. <laughs> <laughs> so sometime between April of this year and March of next year, this game is coming out. This, I don't think, bodes well at all. Something's wrong with this game. And here's my two cents. I think the last game was so great because is it Trey Parker and Matt Stone? Mm-hmm. Is that their names? They had, I think, probably complete creative control over that game. Uh, and once it became such a success, I think Ubisoft has their fucking grubby little mitts all over it, and they're trying to. I don't know. I don't know why they'd be doing it, but you can already tell based on the new combat system. They're like, oh, we need to meet these certain expectations. I don't know why they would say that or think that. So maybe I'm talking out of my ass. Because the last game did so well. Just do that again with a new story. Fucking win, bro. Hashtag winning. I mean, I think Fractured But Whole was supposed to come out in October initially. I'm pretty sure it got delayed once before it even got delayed to quarter four of this year. 
So who knows? But I think contrary to what you're saying about Ubisoft having more uh, developmental control, I think it's just Matt and Trey. They already went out and talked when they're making Stick of Truth that they were didn't have enough, enough experience in making games. And that's why it took them so long. They're, you know, they're used to running a show and they run that show pretty much like up to the wire. Like they're making the show week to week. That's insane. Every week they're making a new episode of that show. Six days. Which is wild. So I think that just the development, yeah, the development process from a game is a much longer thing and they're just not used to it. But after Stick of Truth, they're like, I don't think we're ever going to make another game. That was so stressful. That was like immediately after the fact. But then a few months later, they're like, you know what? We should do that again because we've learned a lot. And I think they just haven't actually learned that much. And it's just taken them a long time because it seems like a much bigger endeavor. I imagine the team working on it. I mean, because they're not. All they're doing is writing a story. They're, you know, it's not like they're sitting here trying to program a video game. They've got a, probably a bigger team on this game than they did the last. And I'm sure this game is going to be bigger in scope. Uh, I mean, I, obviously, just the revamped battle system, instead of being sort of just the rock, paper, scissors with sort of the active uh, uh, battle commands, mm-hmm. you know, a la Paper Mario and whatever, Still, they still are implementing those sort of mechanics, but now it's kind of a faux turn-based strategy with like a grid system You're kind of reminiscent to a mega man battle network not a game i am familiar with I had a kind of a grid-based uh combat with the the rpg you know like the separate combat scenarios so uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how this is going to work out I, I was really turned off by it uh when i watched kind of funny's gameplay uh or let's play that they did so uh, you know i'm less excited about it i'm more excited about this game for for the story they're doing the whole superhero thing right yeah and, and that was the that was the shining part of stick of truth right like the you play the game not because you enjoyed the the gameplay loop you played it because you enjoyed the the characters and the interactions and it was a south park season condensed into a video game there's a lot of cool little trinkets in that I, I think part of the reason i loved it so much was obviously the combat is similar to something like paper mario but also in aesthetic and sort of the open world where you're just exploring and, and talking to people and discovering little Easter eggs. Like mm-hmm. it, it really, it felt like the adult version of that, you know? Right. So that's, that's why I enjoyed it so much. Uh, and I hope the fractured butthole kind of sticks to that <laughs> formula. <laughs> so, what a good name. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Also additional point though, this came from a, what it was a, an earnings report like conference call kind of thing with Ubisoft that this, uh, this delay was announced. How, how are we privy to this info? Because people who are investors then go out and say, Hey, this is what Ubisoft is doing. It's the same way we hear about uh, Nintendo's investor meetings. Things that don't interest the common man. Right. So this is a bit like behind the curtain kind of thing. Yeah. But in the same like news break, we also heard about, uh, Ubisoft focusing on their established IP and shying away a little bit from starting new IP, which they've done quite a bit of over the last few years. You know, we had Watch Dogs and Steep and For Honor's coming out in like a week or something like that. But then part of that, they're saying there's going to be four AAA titles coming out this year from them, of which one is Stick of Truth, the other is For Honor, and then we have two unannounced titles. And there's been rumors floating about that this year is the return of Assassin's Creed, which before it was like an annual kind of thing like seven years i think up until syndicate like 
which was reviewed really well, apparently. I don't know. I didn't I didn't play it. But part of the rumors for that is that it's going to be an Egyptian game or maybe a Greek game or what have you. But then there's like a fourth title in there that could be who knows what. It's a, a Mario Mario Rabbids RPG crossover. Yeah, we we had like some rumors about that. I don't know, I don't know about the credence behind that. If it's that's the fourth one, bro. That's the fourth pillar. It very well could be. Who I don't know. I mean, that's an established IP, right? It kind of fits with their messaging. But what I was going to say with that is, uh, they also said that their support for the Switch, like, oh yeah, we've got a bunch of games that we think are going to perform really well. Just Dance 2017. Maybe potentially. I'm not being hopeful for this. But I think that the delay might be so that they can get it running on Nintendo's hardware. I don't believe that for a second. Why not? Do you think do you think South Park is too intensive of a game to run on that kind of console? No, I just think that Ubisoft is a smart company. Not only were they burned by Nintendo this last year, Nintendo has not been a very good partner to Ubisoft. Ubisoft is the one that is like the most consistent in supporting their hardware though. They they were the only ones that had a console exclusive out of like the big AAA companies. They did Zombie U and that was like a that was a thing that Ubisoft did. Ubisoft has been pretty steadfast in supporting Nintendo and like I said Nintendo's kind of burned them. Uh we when we talked about the Switch conference you brought up that how come Ubisoft wasn't there? I thought it made sense that Ubisoft wasn't necessarily there, but as far as Nintendo trying to keep everybody happy it was kind of like, wow, like the one company, the one third-party company who produces AAA games, who supported you through the last fucking, not 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 just last four or five years with the Wii U, but also with the Wii, which who cares how many hardware units it sold. Yeah, they did some cool stuff with the Wii with like Red Steel. Yeah, but like games died on the Wii. Sold 102 million units. Games died. Third parties quit supporting that console long before that console died. Uh, and that's why we we kind of were ushered into the, the Wii U's depressing era. Um, I mean, there still were third-party, you know, there were like the sports games you got and stuff. But for the most part, the Wii wasn't a console for gamers. It was a console for our parents. And and real developers said, gamers aren't buying these games, so we'll put out this crappy shovelware. Right, but I think with uh, the current console iteration that Nintendo's doing, that I think they're there's evidence that they're reaching out to developers and... I don't know if they're monetarily incentivizing, but they're at least communicating. It seems like for just from what I've heard from other developers where they're talking about, yeah, we like Nintendo got in touch with us and they seem to want our game on their system. So that's like a cool kind of thing to hear from them. It's a step forward. Like we got another, we got another story of, uh, the developer behind is the developer, or the publisher behind binding of Isaac. Pretty sure they're, they're a publisher. They publish a lot of games. Nicalis. Yeah. Nicalis. Are they a publisher? We're informed here on the Console Crusade podcast. Well, they published uh, Cave Story and they published uh, Red Out. They are uh, they're a developer and a publisher. Okay. So, like, they're talking about, like, how comparatively easy the Switch is to develop for comparative to Wii U, which isn't very surprising just based on the architecture alone. But I, I don't really, I can't really read too much into his statements. He literally said that it's not just lip service. So take that for what you will. Like that could literally just be more indicating that it is lip service or it could be that this is his like genuine opinion. Well, let's get into that in a minute. Uh, Back to South Park. Ubisoft would not delay a game indefinitely because that's kind of what it is. It's saying it's probably going to come out in the next year. 
Okay, well, that's of course what you have to say. You can't delay it two years. You have to say it's coming out in the next fiscal year at least. Um, Mostly, I think that they just don't want to say it's coming out in summer. I think they just kind of want to... They, Because they said they have multiple games in development. So they don't want to pull an EA and release two games week to week. So they want to have like a, this is the quarter that this comes out. This is the quarter this comes out. So I could see them thinking, uh, do we want this in December? Do we want this in like the holiday season? Is that like a big release for us? Or when we announce this title, whatever the next title is, do do we want to have that sit alone? Is Assassin's Creed going to be ready for holiday or is it going to have to be pushed back? Like, we right. don't know. They're, they're keeping their options open. Being flexible is a good thing. And it's better than saying it's going to be out in two months and get delayed again. So they're keeping it open-ended. That's fine. But there's no way that this is delayed with the idea of getting it out on the Switch so that it can sell an extra 80,000 copies. Like, let's be realistic. The Switch is not going to move units in the first year, and not at least until holiday season. Uh, and the, the, the user base is not going to be one that's going to be rushing out to buy a game like South Park. The profit that Ubisoft would see for that would be negligible. So maybe a byproduct of the game you know, being uh, delayed... Maybe that means we do get a Switch version, I, but I can't imagine that's anywhere on their priority list. That's just a thing that might happen, but they're not going out of their way to say, let's delay this game again so that we can get it on a Nintendo console. I just don't see that being fiscally responsible. Right. And I don't think that's like the main reason. I think there's probably more than one reason. That's just one of the ones that I think that might be possible. That'd be cool. I would love to get that game on a handheld. RPGs fit really well on handhelds. Yeah. I, that's, I'd buy it on... On, uh, on Switch, no doubt. Well, you don't want to play it in like 4K, 144 FPS, get a sick gaming computer to, to play South Park? Bro. <laughs> well, you, you say that. It's funny. I am building a new work computer this weekend. Like, irresponsible hardware in this thing, okay? Uh, Are you talking about like rendering 8K videos and you've got 1080p monitors, like some sort of pleb? <laughs> well, I'm investing in a, in a new 4K reference monitor since I'm now dealing with uh, uh, higher resolution footage. You can do it with like the, the, the big old monitor up top and the two little ones below do one of those setups. It, it depends. I, I'm so limited in my current man cave. I don't know. I was thinking about that. Do I mount it up above or do I put it off to the side on, uh, on the wall? Cause I only need it for reference when I'm, when I'm like color grading and, right. and for review before final output. Cause I'm working with six and eight K footage and all of it's coming down to 4k, uh, for final delivery. So, uh, that's just more money I have to spend. I just dropped fifty six hundred dollars on a fucking on PC hardware. So I'm I'm You're a goddamn idiot. I do. Well, it's like for a job that you don't know that you have. Well, I have the job. Do you? You I, actually I'm, got that? I'm contracted to do work right now for several people. Oh yeah, good job. Are you gonna make five grand? You know what? The way I struggled with this. We're now, now we're totally off topic here. That's fine. Here's a little glimpse into the real world here, boys and girls. Uh. I kind of talked to everyone in my life and I was like, what do I fucking do here? Like, do I, is this, I need to upgrade at some point because I was already dealing with lots of 4k footage and my computer was choking on it. So I, it was like time for an upgrade at some point, but I was like, do I go all in and just do something that's like exponential, like just out of this world and it's going to, you know, be future proof for the next five, at least years. Or do I do something sort of incremental and, and just see what happens. And it, you know, everybody, even the most fiscally responsible influences in my life. Because if you're listening to this and you know me, you know I'm not good with money <laughs> at all. 
If you could, I mean, you're good, you're good at spending it. I'm great at spending it. Oh yeah, I'm great at spending money I don't have. Credit cards, baby. No, uh, so, but I figured, I said, you know what? If if there's anything I'm going to invest in, it's going to be a new workstation that can handle this. You know what's becoming industry standard for video. So you know, we'll see how it fucking works out. Uh, but yeah, you, you know, I'll be able to. Yeah, get that 144 hertz 4K. Like you said, be able to play South Park now, finally, in the, in 4K. I'll be able to play... The way it was meant to be played. Dude, of course. Um, I'll be able to play, like, um, backyard baseball now. I have to get the 4K patch for that. Yeah, I'll that's finally good. be able to run that. I've been waiting. You could count the pixels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? Um, you know, um, what's that game? Uh, uh, Castle Crashers? Oh, yeah. I couldn't run that before. So now... You know, yeah, you, you chugged a little. Yeah, it was it was rough. So, but now now I'll have the specs. You know, fifty six hundred dollar machine so that I could play Castle Crashers. Finally, We're Rocket here. League. That's pretty intensive too. Yeah, it's like <laughs> why why go out and 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 buy an Xbox three sixty for a hundred bucks and play these titles when I could be irresponsible and you know hundred dollar paperweight. That's what you're buying with a three sixty. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, this is the console crusade, folks. It's the PC Master Race Crusade. That's I don't like that term, PC Master Race. I think you're just kind of kind of burned on the whole master race. <laughs> I just kind of kind of phrasing. Yeah, it's especially in, in today's political climate. The comparisons to Nazi Germany are just are, are 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 rampant and abundant, and it's 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 it gets old. So PC Master Race is just not a a term that I am comfortable with. Also, it's like the nerdiest side you can take in any sort of console war, which in and of itself is a stupid thing to partake in. It's true, because guess what? PCs are are, are, are clearly better in every every possible way. Uh, but it depends on your needs. It's, it's, it's not in our, it's like saying it's like saying like Ice Age is better than Norm of the North. Like you, why even argue that? You don't yeah, need to argue that. It's clearly better. It's you don't need to argue. It's it. just it's just it is what it is. So it, <laughs> you know, can you imagine? Are there any North of the North truthers out there? Okay, <laughs> like uh, dude, I could climb through the IMDb forums and find you someone out there. Dude, I think that literally has like a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. No, it's got a nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Hey man, that means nine out of hundred people were like, yeah, bro, it made Washington's. its budget back. What was its budget like? Eighty, ninety dollars. Eighteen million, and it, it made twenty-seven four. Hey, that's it's not terrible. You figure what's what's a third of eighteen million? Like six million. It that's, made nine million, so it made fifty percent more than its budget. That's math. We think it, it probably spent about six million on marketing. That's I mean, usually depending on the movie, don't they usually lump that in as part of the costs? No. Generally, not when you when you see budget, that does not factor in what a company spent on marketing. I bet marketing. they do on their end for like taxes or something. Yeah, but but what we see is is cost of production, um, and I think roughly you get about a third. Because movies don't want to show that they make that much more than they spent. Right. Speaking of Norm of the North, what's up with uh, Destiny Two? <laughs> Terrible segues. Oh, sorry. I didn't. I didn't realize that we're supposed to be good on this podcast. I say we we, we talked about everything. We've got all over the place. Like you know what? We're not even getting to Destiny Two right now, Nick. I'm going to ask you a fucking question right now, completely unrelated to what's happening. What we should be talking about? Okay, ask. Question of the night. Lacroix. You're drinking it. What do you, what flavor are you drinking? The only flavor I really ever drink: coconut. Coconut. Because so, for some reason the uh, stores nearby, for me, they only carry maybe four flavors. 
Travesty. And the other three are trash. Like you get lime. Just just lime. No. No, nobody nobody wants that. That's just bitter carbonation. That's no thank then you. you. Got, then you got orange, which doesn't taste like orange. Tastes like a bad orange. It tastes like uh like a, like an emergency or an airborne tablet. Yeah, but less sweet. Ugh. It tastes worse than airborne. And then also carbonated, which just exasperates the the taste exacerbate i seriously exacerbate? cannot pronounce that word i want to pronounce it but it just sounds like masturbate every time i exacerbate. try exacerbate right exacerbate Exaster- Exas- exacerbate Ex- exaster calibate <laughs> exorcist ex exercise exercise exactly and then the, the, the the fourth flavor is like uh like a tonic water which isn't a flavor it's just a- seltzer flavor well, not even that. It just tastes like baking soda. That's fucking foul. <laughs> but some people like to mix that with their gin, so who am I to judge, right? When uh, you and our boy Trev came down and, and stayed here for a few days, uh, he bought mango, which mango anything usually is gives me pause. You know, it's like, no, I... Uh, mango's good. Uh, nah, nah. Peach, mango, peach mango salsa? No, 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 no. No. Ooh, me? Ooh, ooh, ooh. no. You are a weird man. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, but the mango LaCroix was like, it, it changed my mind because I had had the cranberry, I had had the grapefruit. Okay, so you had cranberry and grapefruit and you were judging LaCroix on those merits? Well, the grapefruit what? one's like their most popular flavor. Pussy masseuse or whatever they call it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? No, yeah, it's like it's like pample mousse. Yeah, yeah, pussy masseuse. Uh, <laughs> disgusting. Foul. <laughs> It was terrible. I said, how can anyone drink this? Well, I got the mango and I slowly started coming on board. And then I started going through like three cases of LaCroix a week, which is really probably not good for my health. Why not? Well, just the carbonation. I can't imagine it's good for your teeth or your esophagus or your stomach. Better than sugar. Well, certainly. Like, that's true. And I wasn't a soda drinker before. I don't, you know, I, sh- I don't drink soda unless there's booze in it. If I drink liquor, I'm usually just drinking bourbon. Neat. I'm a man, god damn it. Wow. Uh, no, but I just discovered the orange, or the tangerine, not the orange, the tangerine. Like, it is so comparable to, like, a, a, an orange crush. I told you earlier, you can almost taste the sugar. Almost. It's, it's it's like I said, very comparable. I, I'm enjoying it. I think I've had, like, four of these today. That's I, I am addicted in a big, bad way, man. Big, bad way. This has been the LaCroix crusade. Like, LaCroixade. Dude, you know what? My, my... My partner, who I've been working with, dated a girl for many, many, many a month, whose like dad is like the vice president of the entire corporation that does LaCroix. And I remember being like, yo. So you got an in? Well, no, I was like, bro, have you ever had LaCroix before? And he's like, what'd you just fucking say? And I was like, LaCroix, the sparkling water. He's like, don't you ever say that name to me again. Like, he was fucking with me because he's always, you know. He's never serious, but he's like, don't you ever fucking say that to me again. I was like, damn, dude. He's like bringing up some real bitter memories. <laughs> I was like, sorry, bro. Some some history there between you and the sparkling water. <laughs> Been burned by the carbonation. Uh, anyway, okay. You know what? We're getting back to it. We're finally circling back around. The, the look on your face. You're like, Jesus Christ, man. We've just. I mean, it's already. It's, it's getting late. It's almost 10. Oh, you have to. You're not going to work tonight. But I still have to call. Well, we could take a little pause. I'll I'll, I'll go I'll go uh, Pat Contrary. It's also just getting late. That's true. You have you've got uh, co cohabitants to worry about. 
<laughs> Got to be considerate. Yeah, it's true. You're, you don't have to be considerate. You nah, hate your neighbors. Yeah, they're <laughs> fucking shit bags. Uh, okay. So we talked about South Park. We talked about Ubisoft. We were going to go on to Destiny 2 with that garbage segue that led us into me just rambling about nothing because fuck yeah, that you. A, that was a good segue and you just completely spit on it. What? What? Do you even remember what the segue was now? I said, speaking of whatever we were talking about, tell me about Destiny 2. That's a, <laughs> that's a good segue. Garbage. Hi, <laughs> garbage. All right, Destiny 2. So, uh, Nick, you know, Destiny is a game I've spent a lot of time with in the last year and a half. Mm. And they, you know, kind of stopped supporting it, kind of not. You know, they, they put out a kind of a half-assed expansion in the Attack of the Wolf King or whatever the fuck it was called. I can't remember now. That's a cool album, but that's not the, uh, that's not the DLC. <laughs> no. the, uh, what is the DLC called? Uh, the Rise of the Iron Wolf. Yeah, <laughs> Rise of Iron, Attack of the Wolf King. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I spent $30 on that, played it for about a week, and then said, eh. You got hustled. The raid was really great, but my playgroup had just was just eviscerated. I didn't have a playgroup anymore, and I, yeah, kind of sucked. But Destiny 2 was like supposedly going to get delayed into 2018. We've, we haven't heard anything about it. And it kind of seems a little abrupt to for them to just drop something like that on us. But today, uh, a story came out. Activision was, was I think it was, uh, I think it was a, an interview. Yeah, because they're doing a Q&A, so I, I don't know what it was. It was probably like an investor meeting kind of thing, though. Yeah, they Activision came out and said uh, that the game will, in fact, launch in the fall. So we don't know which which financial quarter that is. Not that it matters, I don't think, uh, for us. I would imagine. Well, I mean, the fall pretty much goes up until December 20th. It, it'll be out. I imagine it's going to It'll probably fall in the November region. After Call of Duty, maybe? A few weeks after that? We're not getting Call of Duty this year, I don't think. Yeah, we are. Are we? Sledge, Sledgehammer's making it. It's uh, They came out and said that it's going to be a return to form because apparently people didn't really take to the whole space theme of Infinite Warfare. And if you go if you go watch that uh, initial trailer they dropped and looked at look at the dislikes on that video, I think it was one of the most disliked videos on YouTube when it first came out. Well, it wasn't a good trailer. People were not excited for that to be Call of Duty. So I think... It sounds like they're going to be doing maybe another World War II shooter. You know, it's silly to me that people didn't like it because it's probably the best Call of Duty game of the last four years, if not five years, four years at least. Honestly, probably the best one since uh, Modern Warfare 2. No, did Black Ops come out after... Black Ops 2 came after uh, out after Modern Warfare 2. Did it? Pretty sure, yeah. I think Black Ops 2 was the last like great Call of Duty game. People really liked Black Ops 3, didn't they? I feel like I heard something about that game still making money as of last year. I mean, that was what twenty fourteen. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to dig deep into the the Call of Duty lineage, but that's a user base that is still fairly superficial. Just because that game sells a lot, and yeah. not all those people are informed necessarily. They're not like digging deep into like what this new Call of Duty game is. They just see the cover, and based on that, they decide, "Oh, I don't want this," or "I do want this." It's a sort of a different beast because of the online ecosystem for mm-hmm. each of these games. And when I look at something like Infinite Warfare and I say, oh, this is the best Call of Duty in fucking six years. You're not playing online. I'm not. I'm not a part of that ecosystem. Right. Uh, although I did. I did play Infinite Warfare uh, r- rather extensively yesterday. PC or PS4? PS4. Okay. Titanfall. I feel like it, it was trying to take things from Destiny and Titanfall. And put it into 
something that felt kind of like classic Call of Duty, and I don't think it worked. I think Titanfall felt way better as far as the controls go. Just the the campaign, or you did you play only online? I was actually only playing Team Deathmatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but as far as the mechanics, you have a, you have a jetpack and you're doing the parkour, running up walls and stuff, and the gunplay. It just did you ever play the the original Titanfall? Um, I played a little bit online uh, on our one of our buddy systems, but the, but the gunplay in, in Titanfall Two was was just freaking impeccable. And so I don't know, Call of Duty it, it controlled fine, uh, but it, the that game shines because of its single player campaign. But apparently, no one gives a shit about that, even though the vocal minority is always crying about it. Whenever there's not a campaign. That's because the the vocal minority cries about anything they can cry about. That's true. That's what makes us special, Nick. Well, it's just that you're more likely to talk about something if you don't like it. It's like looking at Yelp reviews, you know? You're only going to want to write a Yelp review if you have a bad experience. Unless you're like an experienced, like if you're really dialed in, you know, like you really want to make that Yelp community shine. <laughs> Are there incentives out in the world for, for getting on and positively reviewing a, a restaurant? Like, I don't know. Yelpgate. It was Yelpgate 2017. <laughs> 2017, baby. Here we go. Uh, no, when I was, I found that out when I was building this PC is I was like trying to find a quality motherboard with like the feature set I wanted and looking at reviews, they all negative. So I posted on the forums and I said, why do all motherboards review like total shit? It's a $600 board from a reputable manufacturer. Like, why are people crying about it? And they brought that up. They said, don't listen to fucking, you know, shit rats on the internet. They either fuck something up themselves or they don't know what they're doing. Or like, you know, you ship 500,000 units and you get 60 bad reviews of someone who was unlucky enough to get one of the the DOA boards. Like, don't listen to that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Listen to trusted reviews. It's just only people with negative experiences are going to get on and, and and be vocal about it like you said and who knows how much i mean activision even takes those knee-jerk reactions into account maybe they have deeper analytics into how people kind of view the whole space theme and maybe they're just like you know we haven't made a old school style like setting shooter in how long when was i can't remember a game since modern warfare came out has there and that was the 2006 it's been a while. Okay, so yeah, it's been a long time. What they saw was uh, they saw Battlefield One and how well that did, and they said, "Well, time to go back to our roots." Yeah, why not? I mean, if there's a competition, then compete. I just I feel like most people playing these games aren't playing them for their historical accuracy or their you know the fact that they're period pieces of some kind. Like they're not doing that. No, set, setting is a big deal. I mean, there there are different people who play. Halo online that play Call of Duty online that play Battlefield online, right? And part of that is because of the setting and the style behind it. Battlefield one's different though because that's it's more of a strategy based shooter. I wonder how many people I don't know, team death matches doesn't really mean anything to me. I feel like there's more diehard communities in the more objective based uh shooting matches. Sure, but the point is is that it's 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 shoot, kill, die, rinse, repeat. And going back to something you haven't done in 10 years, going and playing World War II is going to be very, very slow. I don't think people are going to like that. I mean, World War I sold. I mean, they don't have to make it historically accurate. Uh, no, Battlefield 1 was really faithful. No, it's not. You're like riding a horse and running over tanks and shooting down blimps. There weren't blimps in every World War I battle. Like, there might have been one once on accident. Like, it got lost. 
Dude, come on. No, watch out for the dirigible. <laughs> dirigible is a great word. There were horses for like a year during World War One. out of how many? Like, that's they're taking... They're taking uh, some creative freedom. I mean, there are some creative liberties, but by all accounts, I'm not a World War One expert, and I didn't beat Battlefield 1, but by all accounts, they did some really faithful things in that game, and the game was really slow. Uh, wasn't, there a, wasn't there a campaign mission where you play as a pigeon, and you're flying to deliver a message? I have no fucking clue. <laughs> but when I, but playing, I played through the first vignette where you're playing as a, a, a tank operator, Dude, it's fucking slow. It's clunky. Things don't work. Also, there weren't really a lot of tanks from World War One. They, a lot of creative liberties. There were plenty saying. of tanks. The, the, the tank is the reason World War One was the way it was. Like the advent of the tank, World War One was like the advent of this kind of warfare. I'm not going to get into an argument with you over the historical validity of tanks. Because neither of us know what we're talking about. If Call of Duty went did World War Two after Battlefield, is it World War One? You don't think World War II was a more technologically advanced war? It was, but I'm saying the di- the the disparity in the kind of game, like Battlefield One, is really slow, and methodical. You're not just running around shooting, dying, and spawning again. Call of Duty, I don't think a slow sort of uh, a gameplay with the kind of technology that was available in World War II. People, I think it's going to be a step backwards, and people are going to say, "Oh wow, we really missed fucking running around and throwing bombs and running on walls and shooting lasers." And that's why they'll still have Infinite Warfare and then they'll have next year's Call of Duty because they always do this back and forth. They've been doing that since Modern Warfare introduced or they did Black Ops, kind of the opposite of Modern Warfare. Talk about knee jerk. Like they said, hey, our game sold poorly without publicly acknowledging why it wasn't because it was a bad game, just like with Titanfall. Like the game didn't sell poorly because it was a bad game. The game sold poorly because of your shitty fucking business practices. So just to say, well, World War II is going to sell again. Or it's sold poorly because they think that it's sold poorly because of it being a spacey kind of game. I, just, I, I think that's oversimplifying it. It may be a factor. I'm sure they're oversimplifying it when they're explaining something because that's what explaining is. Dude, fuck you. <laughs> Suck my <laughs> asshole. And despite it performing worse than last iteration of Call of Duty, it's still the best selling game of the year. <laughs> Was it really? Yeah. Damn. For the entire year of 2016, number one. Well, we all can't be Blizzard making, I don't know, billions of dollars. Blizzactor Division? Blizzactor Division. Blizzactivision and Blizzard Blizzactor still Division. same company. You were telling me earlier how much fucking money that Blizzard made. Jesus Christ. Well, I think that's just the numbers for them combined. But still. It's retarded. Hella. They made 41, 42% more money. 2016 than they did in 2015 and 75% of those what six something billion dollars was digital download so they made more digitally in 2016 than they made the entirety of 2015 that's absurd I'm curious to know the actual numbers because I I looked into this a little bit Um, what is like spread out based on uh, games is there is there a decrease in physical sales or just an increase in digital because we always hear about how oh digital overtook physical sales. You could, you could math it out. I'm sure. I'm sure they have they have the numbers for digital uh, sales in 2015. Also, uh, I understand that physical media is is not as ubiquitous as it once was because it doesn't need to be. But uh, I I want to know if if the people who bought buy physical are still buying physical and we're just getting more and more people who are playing games and and those are people who are just 
automatically integrating themselves into the the digital ecosystem. Well, when it's based on a percent, then that kind of tells you that there are literally more people migrating over to a certain way to buy a game. Like I think it was uh, EA that came out and they said that their digital sales were like 40% of their business in 2015 then 60 in 2016. Like they went up also something like that. Don't quote me on that. Stay out of my mentions. But <laughs> a hashtag intensive purposes calling you out, motherfucker. Mm. I feel like there are so many factors that go into that. If you look at how many people like finally joined the next uh, the current generation in the last year. And are those people all stuck to digital? Like people, the pe- like again, people who are buying physical didn't go anywhere. If there are a million people buying discs every year, those are, there's still a million people. But another three million finally bought the next gen and started buying their games digitally. That still translates into more people buying digitally. Sure. No, I'm not debating. I'm just saying, is that because physical media is actually dying, or just because there are more people, you know, jumping on the bandwagon? I mean, I'm sure it's a culmination of efforts, right? You can't just, you can't put it on one like reason. Right. I think a lot of it also is that there are so many games that you buy them and you put the disc in and you still have to download a shit ton of stuff. And that, that That's never going away. And we can get into why that is in a minute. But I, I just want to bring up uh, Colin Moriarty at Kind of Funny just did a video about digital media and, and the gaming industry and and. Are we headed towards digital only? Why we should, why we shouldn't, whatever. And I thought it'd be interesting to get into. And we're all over our notes here. We went from fucking, we went from LaCroix to fucking Destiny to World War One, and here we are at digital video games. Oh yeah, you should probably cross out LaCroix just so we don't accidentally try to talk about it again. <laughs> duly noted. Uh, duly, duly, duly. <laughs> so, okay, what are your thoughts then on, on going digital only? quote unquote, I, uh, as a collector, I fucking hate the notion. And trust me, I will wax poetic about this, but I want to know what you think. I'm not inherently against going digital only because I've gone digital only in a lot of other aspects in media, especially I don't own any CDs. I've never owned a DVD or Blu-ray and I do not lack for movies or TV shows or music because of that. There are services in play that I can get those things from at the drop of a hat. And I think as internet bandwidth goes up and our speed of service goes up, it's going to get to the point where you don't really need, you're not going to be, you're not going to need a computer in 20 years because every device that you own will be connected to a cloud, which then does all the computing for you. Potentially like there's a future where that's a possibility but that goes down a deep and winding rabbit hole of net neutrality. And that's a scary thought just to think that some other company has all of your files and stuff. I don't want to go down that way. But as far as gaming is concerned, you don't need to own the games in person. You don't need the physical media because that physical media doesn't really mean anything as it is right now. You buy a PS4 game and you need to download. It's a DRM. Same with the Xbox One. We use the last sort of vestige of the days of putting the actual data on the disc and then the system running the disc. But to that point, even on the Wii U is, is in the, in some of the later releases, you're seeing these giant patches you have to download anyway, uh, and game content being added after the fact. And it's like, if the, when those servers go down, uh, you're still stuck with a day one game. Uh, and that's the same, you know, like you said, PS4, Xbox one, the discs are just copy protection. So even when the servers go down, you'd be losing your digital games, 
once you know if you have a hard drive fail you'll never get those games back that's the same as if you break your disc you're never getting the game back it's a lot harder to break a disc especially a blu-ray disc as a fucking adult who takes care of his shit than it is to like in five years when no one's buying playstation and they're on ps5 and the servers go down because that's inevitably what will happen and we've already seen that with with the OG Xbox and you know even Xbox 360 PS3 there are games disappearing because of all sorts of you know legal issues rights issues whatever and you just never see those games again but if i own that fucking disc i will always have this provided my house doesn't fucking burn down or i get robbed right like it's 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 always an option for me to pop this in and play it i feel like a server is a lot harder to you know accidentally scratch than a disc you own right no one's ever had a blu-ray disc that's quit working they're so durable. You have to throw the thing up a balcony. I refuse to believe that <laughs> like, statement. Like you, just, you have to like Blu-ray disc rot is not a thing. Disc rot for CDs made in the last twenty-five years isn't a fucking thing. Like you have to go back to the fucking like early eighties. I'm just saying. I'm not talking about that. You can't like you can lose a disc, and also physical media feeds into your hatred of the secondary market. Again, we'll, we'll get into this too. It's not the secondary market I hate. It's 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 artificial markets created by fucking companies with more money than we'll ever see. The secondary market is a it's a it's a fake market. It's an artificial market. The retro game market is a secondary market, but there are not companies who are sitting here pumping the market full of new product and then artificially limiting it to to increase profit. There is a set quantity. There is there is a set amount of product to be moved. If they're pumping product into the market, that's. That's no longer an artificial market. That's a real market. What Nintendo, what we thought Nintendo was doing, making these things and then saying, gotcha, and then not giving us those things, that's like a fucking... I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) With the NES or the Wii or whatever, they're like, they produce a bunch of units and then they stop giving us those units to build the hype up. So then you have scalpers. I, I, I don't believe there's been enough evidence to support the claim that Nintendo artificially inflates the, the secondary market demand. I think they're just very conservative with how many things they make and they don't want to be caught with their hands full of items that they're not selling. They're a very conservative company. They've been around for like 300 years or whatever. You know, it's full of ancient, wise Japanese men. All right. You know what? It doesn't matter if I shoot you in the head or if I accidentally shoot you in the head because I was flipping my gun around. You still got shot in the fucking head. So it's Nintendo's fucking fault either way. And it's a very egregious. That's a very egregious analogy. You are not being shot by Nintendo. Nintendo shot me in the head. They fucking shot me. I'm sorry that you're a crazed fanboy and you still can't buy an NES classic. I really am. That's very, that's very bad. But that's a that's a weird analogy to compare to the true secondary market of things that haven't been around for twenty years. Yes, I I, I know what you're saying. You're just trying to get my goat, okay? But consider your goat gotten, bro. Uh, uh, in Colin's video, he's talking about like the death of GameStop, and I don't think GameStop fucking matters. It doesn't matter to people like us because we don't we don't utilize the services they provide. All right, we're not patrons of their fucking business because they're shit. Right. Um, so I don't think that that affects us. If I were being forced to go to GameStop because that's the only place I could buy my games, that's a whole other story. But I don't think as they stand, it doesn't affect people who don't want to, you know, give them their business. You're saying that GameStop isn't very relevant to us, but I do think they are kind of the last bastion of relevance for people. Like we have friends that that utilize GameStop's ability to, you know, you can return a game or trade in a game to buy a different game. Because, oh, I finished this game, you know, I, I beat Final Fantasy 15, I want to try Last Guardian. Oh, I beat Last Guardian, I want to try Yakuza 0, whatever. And I think that 
in essence, I'm okay with that because there are used markets for CDs and people still buy CDs. Like say you don't want to subscribe to Spotify and you're like, Oh, I haven't listened to this album in 10 years. There's no way you're going to hear it on the radio. So you go buy the CD and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with people buying movies and a digital only future kind of chokes that. And that's kind of a bummer. Like if you buy digitally, you're kind of like, okay, I cannot return this. Basically I can't regain, I can't recoup any of my uh, money from this purchase which saddens me because I like physical things like to hold them. There's a cool like tangibility to owning a game and seeing it. Like it's a a package deal. You understand that. I I will never go to, I like the convenience of digital media, but I will never go over solely to that because I want to fucking hold the game in my hand. And again, I want to be the one in charge of, you know, like, yeah, you're right. I can scratch a Blu-ray disc, Nick, but it's a lot more likely that me EJ Olsen, it's a lot more likely that the servers go down and I lose the ability to play a digital game than I fucking scratch disc or lose a disc. I mean, how many games do you own on Steam? I own plenty of games, but also all the the good ones I own physical copies of, whether it's on console or PC. Yes, I buy a PC DVD. So you have like you have like 80 games on Steam and you own five of them on a physical media? <laughs> well. <laughs> the indie darlings that you own physical copies of? Like I said, the good games. I own a lot of bad games on Steam. I think I probably own about, I don't know, yeah, 80 titles, and I probably own about 25 of them. A lot of, a lot of the rinky-dink old PC games. I, I, will, I don't think I'll ever own a physical copy of a PC game, unless that game comes to a console, and then I buy that game physically on the console. Well, part of it, you know, like uh, uh, CD Projekt Red's doing DRM-free PC DVD, and they're actually putting the entire game on the discs, unlike a lot of companies where it's just you get the first gig install and the rest is a download. Just fucking the dumbest shit I've ever heard. I th- I think there are a lot of issues with going digital only. I think the least of which is the access of a server burns down. Like that's that's such a rare occurrence. No 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 no. These companies, their servers will go down, and you will no longer be able to access the PlayStation Network. Like you can't log in like to to your on your original Xbox. That's a DRM issue, not a not a access issue. Go go boot up your Xbox original Xbox and try to go access anything on the store. Try to get any DLC for any of those games. It doesn't exist because those servers are dead. If I had those games and had the DLC, I could still play those games and play the DLC, though. <laughs> I don't see what the, the difference is between having it digitally and having it on a disc. Okay, my disc is never going to fail. My hard drive is. And when I have to buy a new... Disc will fail if your disc is just DRM, though. That's a whole separate point. That's why, like, with Nintendo, the Wii U. When my Wii U fails and I lose my digital content, I lose my saves and I lose my fucking all the patches. Back it up onto an, on an external hard that's, drive. Then. You know, it's that's that's a fucking shitty argument. We're already seeing this with games. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the notable ones: uh, PT, the Scott Pilgrim beat 'em up, uh, Marvel vs. Capcom. PT wasn't a game; it was a trailer. Oh, shut up! <laughs> Another shitty argument: uh, Marvel vs. Capcom disappeared. When the rights, that whole thing, the rights issue with Marvel, everything got all wonky. That game was was MIA for at least two years. If I own that game, I can still play that fucking game. But I can't now because it was on a server that I had no control over. And even if you bought that game, you spent $60 on that game and your PlayStation fries, you you can't get that game back. You bought it, but it's it's gone forever and you're out $60. I don't think that's an inherent problem with the digital future, though. I think that's a, those are corner cases. I mean, what happens, what happens if Valve goes out of business and Steam goes down? What happens to all your games? You're shit out of luck. Maybe, exactly. But if you own those games. That's the problem. You don't own those games on Steam. You lease them. That's part of the user agreement. Which is what's <laughs> fucking shitty about a digital only future. Yeah, but if you sign up with GOG and you buy The Witcher on GOG, 
and Gog goes down, you can still play the Witcher. That's just your service that you're choosing. If you have that already downloaded and your hard drive never fails. But if once the servers go down and so you build a new computer and you want to go download that game, you won't be able to, not legally anyway. That's a whole nother story. Okay, so that's just when things stop working. Is that your argument? Because things stop working all the time. <laughs> that's my point. When my Wii U stops working, I can get another Wii U. When your disc stops working? No, the, that's not a thing. <laughs> it's not impervious. It's as impervious as a, as a server. <laughs> that's, these companies take these servers down all the time. All the time. Like, you can't go on the original DS and access anything. Those servers are dead. So if there's anything that you wanted on there, it's gone because Nintendo said we're done supporting this. So that's just, that's 10 years of of of, of data that you can no longer access. Luckily, I mean, there's some of it you can access through the new 3DS, whatever, but there's never going to be a contingency plan that allows for support going back, especially as we get further and further along. They're not going to say, oh yeah, we're supporting the Wii servers now from two decades ago. That's not going to be a thing. That's just going to be lost to the ages. And if you didn't own those things physically... Like, you have no hope of ever experiencing them again. I don't think the Wii even had an eShop where you could buy, like, full titles, though. Yeah, they did. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they used to have this weird point system where you, like, bought Nintendo points uh, with a credit card, and then you spent the Nintendo points. Uh, I think Microsoft used to do it, actually. Right? You used to buy, like, Microsoft points. You didn't actually use uh, cash in the store. <laughs> it makes no fucking sense. I think that that was, like, trying to evade some sort of, like, storefront policy some like fcc regulation kind of thing you some, know? yeah sketchy shit pretty sure ps3 did that too i'm not sure i never owned one but i i still think that's that's the biggest issue and that's the one that people are always complaining about is what happens when these companies decide to quit supporting it it's just gone because you are just leasing the right to play that game and if they don't want you to play it anymore you can't play it i think that's shady i spent my money to be able to play this game i should be able to access it when and how i want yeah, you want to be able to play it in perpetuity, but if you don't agree with the fine print, don't buy it. Guess what happens if I have a physical copy? Nothing if it's not if it's not a real physical copy. What does that mean? It means you're talking about DRM discs. They're not DRM discs. I mean, in a way they are, but they have a, a, a build of the game. They have game data on it, but those games aren't finished when you buy them. You still have to download a day one patch. Often. And when those servers are down, then you're frequently left with a not great game. If you play No Man's Sky out of the box with no internet connection... You're playing a very different game than the person who's playing it after the the day one patch. I totally agree. That's a whole other issue with the current state of the games industry. But it's a combined issue with you talking about wanting only physical media. And that means that these developers are going to have to start actually putting the entire game on those discs and finishing the game before they put it out. And how many developers are going to do that? Yeah, CD Projekt Red is a very great and gracious developer. They don't control the entire market for video games, right? Ubisoft isn't going to do this. EA is not going to do this. 2K is not going to do this. That's like saying, I don't know what it's like saying. I, I think it's a disingenuous argument. Like, well, it's it's not the way it should be now. So why don't we just swing all the way to the other end of the, the spectrum? Like, no, like there's a way to to placate everybody and do it right. What do you mean by swing to the other way of the spectrum? Like saying because the system's not perfect now, we should just do away with it. The system's not perfect now because they're moving towards a digital only future. Which is, I think, less perfect in every single way than where we are now. I, think, I don't. I don't agree with that at all. Like, in the fact that it costs nothing to to produce physical media, I understand the overhead is is lower because of shipping and because of the middleman. Um, it costs less than go to only digital. Uh, but guess what? It's not going to be cheaper for you or I. 
It, it might eventually. I, I don't believe that'll be the case because even cutting out the middleman, going digital only, companies aren't going to want to spend their uh, or, or 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 charge half the cost. I'm not spending sixty dollars on a physical game. I'm not doing it ever, 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 ever. A, di- a digital game, you mean? What I say? You said physical. Fucking physical. I'm all sorts of hopped up right now. You're getting pretty physical. I've had three Lacroix. <laughs> God damn it! It's just water and carbonation. Uh, all the. All the bubblies going to my head. No, but like $60 is going to be worth less in the future. And because of price memory, I could see $60 being the status quo for a long time. So technically $60 will be cheaper. I, but I don't care. I, it's, it's, I, I will not spend the same amount of money on a digital title that could be stripped away from me at, with the blink of an eye. Well, look at, look at, uh, let's take steam for example. How how quickly after release do you see Steam games go on sale? Even $60 releases. Like Often. Doom, Doom, two months after it came out, I bought for $30. Yeah. Now it's like a $20 game. Now imagine that same ecosystem translated over to PS4 and Xbox. Yeah, that would be great. That would be probably what a digital future for those systems that's what they would look like. But I don't think that's viable. I think these companies... For who? For the consumer or for the developers? For the developers. Because if you cut out that middleman, they're still making more money if they sell that game for $40 than if they sold it $60 in store. But I guarantee you they're selling or they're moving many less copies of these video games. I think they take for granted what what the secondhand market does for them. Like people like Andrew, Andrew Chavez, who we just had on a podcast, that dude plays every new game that comes out. But if you look at his shelf, he does not have every game that's ever come out. He buys a game, he plays it, he sells it. He buys a new game. If he could only buy digitally... Does he buy it used? If you ever buy used, then that's not counting towards new either. No, he buys new. He buys new, but he then sells it and he puts it into a secondhand market for people who refuse to buy new, won't ever buy new because it's too expensive or whatever reason. But that's the reason he's able to continue to buy new games week after week, month after month is because of the secondhand market. If you get rid of that and go digital only... Nobody is buying 30 new games a year. Nobody's doing that. 1% of people are going to fucking do that. And I say 1% as is a generalization, not fucking actual numbers. But it, who can afford to do that? Six, a $60 game every week or every month even? I don't know. I, I don't like how it's playing into a secondary market so like close to the surface. Sure. And I think there are things we could do to sort of mitigate how shitty... I mean, that's why I much prefer to go to a store like CD Game Exchange over GameStop. Yeah. Especially if I'm trading my stuff in. I might not get as much money out of it, but I'm not buying a new game with my old game. Right. It's like, it's a weird circle of life. Uh, it's, it turns me off, man. No, I, I think, it, don't even t- take into consideration the fact that nobody has good internet in our, in America, let alone worldwide. Nobody has good internet. Um, I mean, America has more people with internet than uh, anybody else in the world, though. Yeah, but uh, what were the numbers in that video? 40% of Americans don't even use the internet, let alone have the infrastructure to get good internet if they wanted it. I think it's like 80% have uh, access to good internet, though. Again, to find good internet. And the fact that if you go digital only and we have these data cabs, there's there so many moving pieces into like, you know, and I, I have no problem with things going digital. That's why it's a future thing. Right. Right. And being digital only doesn't stop you from playing all the games you'd want to play on PC. I mean, that's true. I just don't think it's the most consumer-friendly move. I think it, it will inhibit our ability as consumers 
uh, to experience these things the way we want them to if it goes digital only. I think that there's there are there are benefits to doing it. The prices will drop quicker than they do now. The only reason that uh, digital sales on consoles stay expensive for so long is because there's like a status quo they have to maintain with um, the middleman, as you put them, like GameStop and retail outlets that are selling them physical. Because if they undercut that, then those people will not agree to sell those games anymore. There's no incentive for them to have them. Then they, then they die. They die, but then those companies lose money on the physical sales too. I just, it's so strange to me. Because they're producing games and then not selling them. That's that's just literally money out of pocket. That logic doesn't make sense to me. They don't want to kill those those outlets either because that's who's selling the hardware. Nobody is, not, not many people are buying their consoles online. Like you're seeing it a little bit more now, but just because it's really easy for that shit to get stolen off your, your porch. People would much rather go in, look at it, grab the box, hold the box as they go to the car, tuck it in next to them on the passenger seat, you know, seat belt and everything, a little pat, grab up the car, drive home, plug that shit in instead of clicking, waiting two days and magically appearing on their, on their front step. I don't disagree with that. I'm one of those people who I, you know, I like the experience that surrounds that. Okay. But that argument doesn't make sense to me because Okay, Sony can't charge $20 for the game that came out three months ago, but Best Buy is. So what's what am I going to do? Am I going to buy that digitally or am I going to go spend a third of the price plus my 20% discount and buy that? Like Sony is being undercut by these companies. And I can't imagine a world where Sony says, hey, we are going to start matching your the market that you have created. Well, it's a combination of like convenience also, right? There's a lot of things at play. <laughs> it's a very complex beast. It is. Uh, but but even taking the fact that I'm a collector, quote unquote, aside, and I want my physical media, I want it on a goddamn shelf. I want to be able to access it when I want it. You know, I do the same thing with movies, and I still buy CDs. I'm in the more minority. Yeah, you're a weird dude. <laughs> but I still buy a physical because guess what happens if this album ever for, for because of rights issues or because Google goes up in flames, which is not likely. But if something were to happen and I lose this ability to listen to this music, I now have a physical copy that I can always access. And of course. Things can go wrong, Nick. I understand that. But it is, again, more likely that I always have this CD till the day I die than it being on a server that I can access until the day I die. Yeah, that's, a, that's just a DRM thing, and that's a accessibility thing. Because there are games that only released physically that relied on a server for authentication for DRM that even if you own the physical copy of it, you can't play anymore. That's a small, that's a small number of games. It's a small number of games, but it's a thing that you know, developers have toyed around with to prevent piracy. Yeah. But it, again, it's way more likely that these servers get shut down because we see it every year. A new set of servers close their door because it costs too much to, to, to maintain. That's why I think retro game markets are not going to exist for the PS4, Xbox one generation forward. Oh no, they absolutely not. I totally agree. So there's no, if there's no collector's market, there's no physical value to this media, despite except, for the corner cases like you, they're not going to establish their baseline because of you. They're going to establish their baseline because of them. In 10 years, my PlayStation 4 collection is useless. I totally agree with that. I'm not disagreeing with that notion. Um, but in the here and now, it is more consumer friendly to still be producing physical media in uh, and, and, and a digital only world. That's why it's a future, not a, not a now. It's not like next month GameStop is closing their doors and you can only download games from now on. I would say it's a console generation or two 
from now that that is the that is the case imagine how cheap those are going to be too without having to have a disk drive <sighs> disk drive again it costs nothing to produce these things that's not where the money is being dumped into it's a fucking moving disk drive that literally dollars disk drives take up so much space i don't the console not, dude have you seen the xbox one s or the ps slim sd media is going to be like terabytes it's gonna be a tiny future man a tiny quiet low power cheap future see what i want to see is i want to i want to i want the best of both worlds i'm totally okay with things like day one patches i think people underestimate like how difficult it is to make a video game and now like, we have a formula we've kind of nailed how to do it but as as far as manpower as far as you know the time it takes to actually produce these things like right, especially the, the the really big games but i think that's gonna kind of have a that's gonna slip out from underneath them eventually too it's going to get to the point where they're putting way more money into a game than what they're making. Like the profit margins are not going to agree with them anymore. We started seeing that this year. We see the, yeah, we see the rise of the indie games, man. That's great. That's really cool. It reminds me of the old days with like kind of chintzy, shitty secondary titles. Well, you want to talk about cost of production versus profit. Like the guys who are making indie games, like Stardew Valley took 10 years. That guy does not, has not made his money back. If you, if you look at how valuable his time, his time is, I know, but that guy has made his money back. Well, it's not like he was only working on that game for 10 years. He was probably working other jobs. That's why yeah, it took him 10 years. That's true. You could make a, you could have a team of 10 people make that game in one year. If that was their entire job. Maybe I wouldn't argue with that. Uh, and, and the fact that, yeah, games are, are gonna, it's kind of what happened to Vita. It costs so much to produce for a system that it just, it, it became not worth it for Sony. That's, that's why they abandoned their own system. I think yeah, that's a, that's a that's a game of margins. I don't think it's actually that much to produce a game for the Vita. Otherwise, there wouldn't be games being ported over to the Vita from like iOS or Android or whoever's making games for Vita now. Because there's still games coming out for the Vita. They might not be the games I want to play, but they're still games. So it's it's profitable for somebody. You no, know, developing a AAA like Uncharted or Killzone, where it's literally you're developing a PC a uh, PS3 game millions tens of millions of dollars to develop this game and there's no way you're making that money back on a platform like that so that's why sony killed it on their end but but people underestimate how how hard it is to make games and how infrequent games would be released if day one patches didn't exist and if dlc didn't exist and the ability to go in and fix a problem six months later or 12 months later like you'd be getting games at half the rate or less that's the advent of power yeah. Games had a much quicker turnover cycle 20 years ago than they did now. Yeah. You had a lot less to make. I know people hate, you know, oh, I got my console. I just want to put my disc in and play it. Oh, I've got to wait hours and hours for all these downloads and updates and whatever. I'm like, that's inconvenient, man. But no, like, it's annoying. Yeah. Push the game back three months. Fuck it. If, they, if every game pushed back three months, then every game would come out in time. It's a case by case basis. Like pushing Final Fantasy back to fix the ending versus pushing South Park back because the whole combat system needs to be revamped or whatever like one could take a year and one could take a month overall though if companies waited until their game was 110 percent bug fucking free which is totally impossible there's no such thing as a bug free game um yeah it just people would lose their shit no i mean just to stop announcing a game if it's not going to come out on that date then nobody would lose their shit if you just have realistic expectations and then meet them then wow nobody's gonna be mad you don't think these companies have probably thought of that? I think they probably haven't. They've slipped into this regression of, oh, I mean, we got to put this game out every year. 
even though that benefits nobody but us. How how come you can defend like Nintendo and all of their shitty out of date practices saying they know more than we do, but some of these other gigantic corporations like they're doing this knowing exactly what the fuck they're doing and they know that it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're doing it because people al- people allow it. People still buy it and still complain about it. At the end of the day, the gaming industry is a better place now than it has ever been and is only growing stronger as far as the kind of content and the way we're able to consume it. Uh, it's it's better than it's ever been. So people just have to find a way to complain. It's like, listen, I would rather have a day one fucking patch than wait another three months or six months or 12 months. That's the worst thing I have to do is wait an hour. Dude, okay, I'm fucking fine with that. Yeah, but you also have a terabyte download limit. That's, yeah, Comcast being a piece of shit company. Fucking but it's a combination of efforts, right? Like, you can complain about one thing because of one thing. I could say, oh, terabyte, that's fine. I don't use a terabyte, but it's still shitty. Terabyte is not fine. If you do anything on the internet, a terabyte is not enough. Right, and an hour, that's, you know, an hour, that's fine. I'll let them get away with that. An hour versus 12 months. What would you rather see? One is a lot shorter than the other. One is a lot shorter than the other, but just don't say that it's coming out. Say it's coming out when it's actually coming out. I mean, that's, <laughs> I imagine, a lot harder to do. How? Like, you, you can't know how long it takes to develop a game three or four years before. So don't say that you know. With the, from a business standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, as a company trying to make money, it doesn't make sense to not, like... Just match your marketing. That's not that much to ask for. Well, apparently it People is. People were apparently not very happy with you know Ubisoft showing Watch Dogs the first game and then selling the game that eventually it came to be. That's a totally different and issue. That's not really that big. That's not a big difference of an issue. That's literally marketing. That is a company being completely intentionally disingenuous and misleading their customers. I don't think they were intentionally disingenuous. I'm sure they wanted the game to look like that. I'm sure they wanted the division to be as expansive as they were showing it to be. But then they didn't reach it and they put it out. Within 12 months, they went from thinking this is going to be our final product in 12 months to going, oh, there's no way we can do this. That's not how that works. That's not how that fucking works. You don't know about game development. You already admitted that. I'm just saying that they should be realistic with what they show and realistic with when they say they should be putting it out. And you're somehow construing that as, oh, we're only getting delays. Like, I'm just saying, don't fucking say when the game's coming out if it's not coming out then. And don't put a game out when it's not done. I mean, it's, it's, it is annoying, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's what we have to put up with to, you know. It's kind of like the like look at the switch. Here's a prime you're example. Say, you're, you're you're saying that it oh, this is something you have to put up with. Well, you know, Nintendo being the way they are, that's just something you have to put up with. That yeah. means that you are not allowed to complain about it no, for no, some no, reason. No. I, I told, that's something that's absolutely true. It's something we have to put up with. But guess what, Nintendo? It's something they have to put up with when nobody buys their fucking console. If that happens, it has happened. It has been happening. Like it it's, happened once. It's a real no. It's happened every time except for the Wii. You have to call work, don't you? Yeah. Call work. We'll put this on hold. I got to group my thoughts. This is going to take a lot of editing. A lot of fucking editing. Just keep yeah, recording. Timestamp down. 129. Okay. <laughs> so Nick is going to call his work right now. I think he's calling into work. So we're going to keep recording here. But as y'all can tell, I am not very articulate. I get so motherfucking flustered. He's giving me figure guns right now. He's humping. He's humping, boys. No, wait. He's not humping, boys. He's showing me his ass now. Oh, uh, that was, he's humping, comma, boys, exclamation point. I have to verify that. That's a phrasing. Scary. He can't hear me. Pulling a Pat Contra here. All right. Hashtag Pat Cast. 
Let's do it. Solo pod. Yeah, no, I'm not very good at articulating myself, but I can't imagine a future where we're going digital only alleviates any of the issues we have now and translates to a better uh, experience for the consumer. Yeah, maybe Nick doesn't agree that having everything tied to a server that we have no control over isn't such a big deal, but I think we have seen what a big, big deal that can be with games disappearing and showing back up and people essentially losing you know tons of cash because they can't access games they they paid for the right to play uh he he brings up a good point though this is a totally different sort of situation in this day and age where the disc is really kind of useless unless you're playing a day one version of a game so in 10 years or or more yeah there isn't going to be a collector's market because you have you don't have access to the server to download the rest of that that game in its proper incarnation. So um, that's something, who knows how that'll play out going forward, but going on digital is not going to fix that. It just adds another obstacle, you know? Uh, And maybe that's just the way, you know, things have to fucking go. It's just the future and there's nothing we can do to stop it. Uh, Ideally, it it costs nothing to produce these things. I think it'd be interesting to see a world where we are getting rewritable physical media and I, I know this kind of this opens up a whole different can of worms with piracy and stuff. Not that these companies have done a good job keeping their games from being pirated, ever. But imagine getting a, a, a physical, like an SD cartridge, that when you download, uh, when you download your your patches or whatever, it's just writing it right to the disc or right to the the card. And so, in twenty years, you have the most recent incarnation of that game for all intents and purposes. It's it's foolproof, obviously. Anything can happen, and your media could corrupt. Uh, but it's it's way more reliable than than hoping Sony is still supporting a server from 15 years ago, which is totally not going to happen. There, there in no reality will we ever see something like that. You know, I wonder how Valve will do it. I think I think Steam. I think they have a contingency. I've read on forums. I don't know how how true any of this is, uh, but they have a contingency. If they were to shutter their doors, you know, that they would essentially just release these games into the wild. I obviously don't know how legal that would be, but, but, but I, I don't know. Musings, rumblings that, that maybe we wouldn't be left out in the cold if something were to happen to Valve. Not that that will fucking ever happen. Jesus Christ. Valve's not going anywhere. And if something were to happen, boom, Half-Life 3. They could take a shit in a fucking bucket and that thing would, would make them a billion dollars. Again, as a collector, I don't want to see a digital-only world. I, despite the convenience of it, I love the convenience of it. I really do. Like, uh, I'm playing through Animal Crossing right now. I've got a digital and a physical copy of that game. I only play the digital copy. I don't ever put the actual cartridge in. It's too inconvenient for a game like that, where it's pick up and play. I just, I, I would be hard-pressed to support a digital-only marketplace. I would have to seriously reevaluate kind of how I do things. I remember when it was rumored that Switch wasn't going to uh, do physical media at all, and they were going to... Obviously, looking back, it's kind of ludicrous to think that Nintendo would be the one ushering us into this digital age. It's that's funny to me. Uh, Nintendo is consistently stuck in the past, as we have established. But I don't know. I'm not good at at monologues here. I'm not good at anything. I feel like I, I've got to do what Colin does for Colin is right. I can write a script. I'm a writer first and foremost. So I can I can sit down and, and pen something and uh, and read it and sound like a fucking robot. But at least my words would be concise. I'd be able to articulate my thoughts. I wouldn't have to enunciate anything properly, which I don't do anyway. All right, folks, we're back. Uh, that was a weird... We had a little break there. I went on a a, a, a little diatribe about God knows what. Um, some of that's going to probably remain in. 
as a little follow up to what Nick and I were talking about before he had to take a break. Go ahead and just like uh, cut in me eating bread too. <laughs> I, I might be able to do that. Uh, just no, get my mouth noises, you know. Dude, sometimes people eating is actually like a really weird sort of like ASMR sort of thing that triggers me in a positive way. It can be all right. I've I've heard people eat and it it was pleasantly okay. Like it depends on who, like Max eating. Oh, God fucking forbid. It depends on how they eat. Yeah, I I, I get that. Yeah. Also, the equipment that they're they're working with. Mm hmm. Because you don't want those 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 popping smacking noises, but just a nice a crunch, nice a nice munch, munch a crunch, munch a crunch, dude. I, I'm all about it. But as I put a piece of bread in my mouth, are you eating just bread or are you eating like a sandwich? I've got I've got just like a breadstick and some lasagna. Hmm. See what I did? I had to get creative with my snackage because there's not much for me to eat right now. I had some chips and salsa, but then I ran out of chips. So then I took. Uh, <laughs> oh. I took uh, some bread and I put some butter on it because I used to eat that when I was a kid because I didn't want to operate the toaster. I didn't want to wait that long. No. Just buttered bread. That's fine. That's good. Fucking delicious. Butter. Yeah. It's bread. Mm-hmm. Me too. That was Fuck my childhood, around. bro. Hell yeah. Like I said, some of my monologues might remain in there, but there's probably a good 15 minutes. That's you're never going to hear. So we touched on destiny a little bit that went totally off the fucking rails into like digital nether world of us making no points for half an hour. Yeah. We wanted to talk about that anyway. I think one more sort of big thing to get into, and that is the Castlevania TV show. We'll get into that last here, but I want to bring up a few things. First, we talked about rocket league on the last pod and how they partnered up with zag to make the uh, pullback toys, little pullback Mm -hmm. cars. Well, they just announced a Hot Wheels partnership, which sounds cool. We're going to get some more Rocket League toys, right? No. Rocket League or uh, uh, Hot Wheels cars are coming to Rocket League digitally. Still think that's really cool. And it doesn't necessarily cut out the possibility for Rocket League cars as Hot Wheels. That is true. Uh, I found out after our last conversation that I drive the Paladin. The Paladin. Mm-hmm. The Pally. All right. Yeah. So, uh, which which my brother, who's a goddamn professional Rocket League player, always tells me it's a terrible car. And I shouldn't Bad use it. profile. Him. Need a better hitbox. I don't want, dude. Whatever. Or something. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. Frames. I'm counting them. Pulling shit out of my ass. Yeah, which no. is where it comes from. It's The more you know. The more you know. <sighs> so yeah, that's cool. I don't have anything to say about that other than it makes sense. And holy crap. Like, something that I did want to talk about that I didn't bring up with... with, with Indie games and you know the Switch, I think, could find its sort of its legs as an indie indie machine. And when we think of indie games, we think of like these little teeny experiences. But it's like, look at the last couple of years. Okay, like the fucking Witness, Rocket League is an indie game. Inside Firewatch, just some of the, the most recent ones. Games like Hotline Miami, Stardew Valley, which is like a, this huge experience, but because it's got little sprite based bat, uh, graphics, people are like, oh, it's just a little rinky dink game, like. No, that's not the case. Like, indie games are fucking huge now. But would you pay $60 for Stardew Valley? For a physical copy? Yeah, absolutely. Would I pay $60 <laughs> for something like Firewatch? No. Would you pay 60 for Rocket League? Here, that's, oh, man, that's a tough question. I think with the success of indie games, that opens uh, AAA developers to making smaller experiences at lower price points, which is beneficial to everyone. It makes their turnaround for games a lot shorter. Yeah, and it makes pricing options more feasible and appealing for 
everyday consumers. Right. That that is a really good question though with some of these games is like what would you be willing to pay for some of these experiences? It it doesn't look good for your game if you sell for less than sixty dollars. Like Ratchet and Clank was a forty dollar game, and as good as that game was, and as well as it did, it's sort of taboo to to you know it's almost like telling people that your game isn't worth the money. Right. So instead of saying, "Oh, this game's only forty dollars," it's like, "Oh, that game's probably not an experience that I, you know, will value as much as as any other sixty dollars." It just that doesn't make sense at all. It's an annoying side effect. I mean, people appreciate you having confidence in your product, and they'd much rather pay forty dollars for a sixty dollars game. So we might see something like uh, developers making a game that's a forty dollars game, selling it for sixty, and then having a price cut or like having it always on sale. Right. Do, do Steam style. <laughs> no, that's, and that's totally, I think, viable is, is, I mean, in a way you're kind of misleading your consumers, but it, that's what really. marketing is. I mean, yeah, kind of in a way, but if that's what it takes for some of these idiots, you see it, you know, when I see, when I see a lower price tag that, that picks my interest I, as a, as a, a PC gamer, you know, when I see that 1999, I say, Ooh, what could this be? You know, it's not even just then either. Like I, I go to the store and I see Nintendo selects. I see these games that are, you know, DS games sell over 20 bucks. I'm like, I kind of want to get this. I wouldn't buy it at 40, but I'll buy it for 20. Hell yeah. Hell I mean, yeah. Plus I 20% off of Best Buy. And you know, they're good games too. You know, you know what? Totally, uh, totally random. Happy Home Designer. I almost bought, like I, I was, I almost pulled the trigger on it. I was like, I really want to experience like, like des- designing the homes in Animal Crossing is like one of my favorite things to do. It's what I spend most of my time with in Animal Crossing is grinding getting those bells so that I can expand my house and, and you know, so, you know, dork. Uh, yeah. I'm a loser. So I almost got it. Nerd. It was like 16 bucks. Maybe uh, later when I have time, but maybe we'll see. Anyway, rocket league, whatever. Indie games. Wonderful. Perfect. It shows all <laughs> over the fucking place. This is all fucking over. I like uh, that summary though. Yeah. Indie games, whatever. Rocket League, wonderful. <laughs> oh no, it's the opposite. It's Rocket League, whatever. Indie games, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. Call that, that's the title right there. Uh, did you see that uh, 2K guys who make the NBA games are going to be creating their own E-League team? I believe it's actually official. NBA 2K E-League. It's not, not their own team, but it's their own esports league i mean it only makes sense nba 2k is still an insanely strong franchise it sells every year the games you know the the iterations have sort of come to a a slow you know it's, they, they're now slowly improving upon that franchise but 2k does just basketball i think they do um ufc they do wwe oh yeah they got the wrestling stuff from uh, thq but it's like ea does the football he owns madden and then uh, the only baseball game really is Sony with the, the the show, MLB The Show. But then EA is even trying to get back into the basketball game. I, don't know. I, I just think when I think of 2K and esports, I think of literally sports. Borderlands hasn't had a, a new game in a while. And I don't know how well that would even work for esports anyway. That's not like a competition based thing. It's like a loot shooter. It's Diablo with guns. No, no, it seems the 2K, the league is was strictly for NBA 2K. Okay. Yeah, which makes a lot more sense. You know, so um let me let me let me drop some knowledge on you though. Cause I find this fucking fascinating. Come at me. 
So this article here I'm reading, it says, okay, the partnership between the NBA and Microsoft NBA 2K, one of the most popular sports games in the market, also makes sense from the pro basketball league's perspective. Esports is a growth industry for NBA athletes and owners with multiple individuals affiliated with the league buying into esports organizations over the past few years. Here's where things get fucking wild. Bro, check this out. Former LA Laker Rick Fox, everyone's fucking favorite basketball player turned actor, owns a League of Legends team. Shaq, yeah, uh, is an investor in NRG Sports, which uh, uh, esports. Um, Magic Johnson, majority stake in an esports uh, organization, Team Liquid, alongside uh, Ted Leonsis, Ted Leonsis, not Ted, who I believe does he own the Wizards, Washington Wizards, uh, and Peter Goober. Who's the Goober now? It's you. War- is he associated with the Warriors, Nick? I don't fucking know. Help me. Help me understand. Okay, here's the thing. You don't know, and I don't really care which team he owns. It's just interesting to hear that he owns a team. (laughs) The Philadelphia 76ers bought Team Dignitas. Yeah, Dignitas. Yeah, and Apex Gaming. That happened, uh, what, like fall last year or sometime? Yeah, pretty... uh Kind of crazy how, you know, we, when we talked about our developer origins, we talked about uh, Zenimax and some of the investors they have on, on that side of things, like crazy big names, like like the money is here and we're seeing these, these multimillionaires and sometimes billionaires, you know, sort of crossing the, crossing the line and, and joining us fucking losers over here. Yeah. Diversify your investments. It's a, it's a burgeoning phenomenon. Yeah. Makes sense. That was it. That's interesting. That's it. That's all. We're done here. This has been the Constant Crusade podcast. And, oh, wait. I'm not going to talk about... <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> you, like, you look at the notes like, what, what's happening? My lasagna is getting cold, boy. <laughs> Shit. If only there was a way you could make it warm again. <laughs> that means I have, I have to get up. Dude, the fucking kids behind me at this apartment back here, that party right now. Sick. Dude, I'm so over it. Tired. Okay. Last thing before we get to the Castlevania TV show which is sort of the last meaty topic of the day of the evening. You put on here that the uh, E3 is going to be open to public this year. I think it was a thing once maybe don't quote me on that. E3 historically has been a, an event It goes started for game developers to sell their games to, uh, retail outlets. And then like journalists were allowed in to report to, their clientele, which were the people buying games. So, you know, EGM would attend E3. E3 has been going around for 22 years. Um, but now kind of, we've had like some middling numbers as far as attendance goes. And a lot of developers have been dropping out, you know, Bethesda, they do their own thing. 2K does their own thing, like down the road a little bit. Nintendo just does like a direct and then they have a game they can play there. Not really like big conferences per se. But they're trying a thing out, which I think makes a little bit of sense, kind of moving towards like the the PAX kind of uh, convention kind of vibe instead of just this expo that's developers selling to retail because it hasn't been a thing for, you know, a dozen years. So they're selling 15,000 tickets to the public, the first thousand of which will be costing $150 and then the rest will be costing $250. A little bit steep, but... I think they'll sell because E3 is still recognized as this big industry event. And a lot of people just want to go. Like I remember watching E3 coverage on G4 when I was in middle school, you know, like deep cuts right there. Throwback. The scene like Adam Sessler hanging out at like 
checking out some booths for Capcom or whatever. Right. Like that's that's a cool thing, you know. That's like that's exciting. And there's just like there's so many conventions now, and almost none of them have any weight to them because there's too many. Like you, there's no like no one's waiting for E3 to drop their huge like bomb of a title because everyone has their own conferences now or their own form like nintendo has their own thing and sony's got psx and who cares about microsoft anymore so it's like e3 is is irrelevant but it's the last vestige of a of a bygone era Mm -hmm. it makes sense that they're going to try and sell that to uh the average consumer yeah it's like i i look at it as a last ditch effort um but I think you could also interpret it as sort of a transition into a world where E3 becomes less about, uh, like you said, developers aren't coming out and announcing the next big thing. It's just not what that platform is uh, anymore. What I can see this turning into is sort of like E3 becoming like the San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, I was, about, I was just about to say that where like it's putting on this big show. It's this big event. Uh, to speak to that, I don't know why anyone in the entire world would want to go to that. Like, SDCC is fucking shit. You spend all this money just to go stand in lines for fucking two and a half days. But it's Comic Con. Like people like Comic Con's like a cool thing, right? I mean, I why do I have to like go spend two hundred dollars and stand in line to dress up weird? I can do that at home. Yeah, but you wouldn't be doing it with a million other people. I guess or something to that, but I, I just like we went to the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. That was a very little thing. It was kind of cramped as far as how much room they had for the event versus how many people were there. I would say the ratio is probably similar to something you see as something like uh, San Diego Comic Con, where probably, you know, yeah. we, we you know we have this tiny area, but there are twenty thousand people there. I think this could turn into something cool, and if you're into that sort of scene, this this is likely a first step into that. Either that or a last ditch effort before E3 completely fails, because it, it is not relevant anymore. Yeah, it's a dying breed, man. Did you see anything about the Castlevania TV show? All I saw was that it's happening. I saw a name that I didn't recognize for who's writing and like show running. And then I saw some dude that I didn't know who he was posting about it on Facebook or whatever. The showrunner is Adi Shankar, who produced, who's an executive producer on Dread. And this ties in for a number of reasons. First off, when I read the news that Castlevania is getting a TV show, I thought to myself, Why? We've had rumors of other video game properties becoming television shows in the past. I think the most recent one was Nintendo. Like we heard of a, a, a Legend of Zelda Netflix rumor. Like that was ever going to happen. That's not going to happen, mm-hmm. right? That's ludicrous. Uh, maybe. Ugh. Who knows? I mean, they're making a, a Universal theme park kind of series of like rides and attractions. That makes more sense though than like taking a silent character and then making a television show when they've been so reluctant to like license their IP for uh, entertainment like that. It seems like it seems like a really weird step, a, a weird first step, especially. I don't know. It makes more sense than Castlevania. It's not like Castlevania has been relevant in the past ten years, fifteen years, exactly, twenty years. So when I saw this, I said, "Oh man, like this is gonna Konami. be, it's gonna be rough." Uh, however, I read an interview with Shankar, and and I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, and there's some good, there's some bad. First, let me tell you what kind of concerns me. Does it concern you that it's? Rated R as fuck. Dude, whatever. <laughs> That's the one thing that I saw, like, quoted. <laughs> like, uh, Game of Thrones. Rated R as fuck. Did he say rated R as fuck? That's not in this yes. interview. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, he does say, I want it to be like Game of Thrones meets like Lord of the Rings, these big epic battles, and just always up in the ante. And, you know, okay, that makes sense. I always sort of pause whenever I hear anybody comparing their yet-to-be-released IP with, like, 
these other juggernauts. Like that's like a surefire way to tell a movie is gonna suck is when someone compares it to Star Wars. Like instantly, no movie has ever done well after the sh- after a showrunner or a director or a writer or an actor has come out and said, you know, we really wanted this to be like the Empire Strikes Back of our generation. Always fail. Well, I mean, if you make a movie that's like Star Wars, it'll probably be as good as Star Wars. <gasps> Boom. I'm trying to think. Did 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 uh, wah, wah, wah. James Gunn come out and say anything? Is it James Gunn? Guardians? James? Yeah, I think so. Well, Gunn, Mr. Gunn. I, I think it's James Gunn. Yeah, Mr. Gunn. <laughs> he came out. I think he may have said something like that where well, we kind of want this to be the Star Wars of our generation. And I think that might be the first time I can think of that actually worked out. Because Guardians was kind of, actually it was a lot less like Star Wars than I think people think. It's more like Indiana Jones. It's It's a lot more like an Indiana Jones in space. It's this kind of epic space adventure, and that's totally cool. And that movie was great, uh, but but it's I think it's concerning when someone comes out and just throwing all these big names around before you know whatever. Um, but he did say that casting is done. The show is going to be released this year. We'll see if that's uh, the case. Animated, correct? No, I think it's isn't it going to be live action? I was I was assuming that that was animated. No, no, I think it's going to be a live action show. <laughs> It actually doesn't say in this interview. It just says that... The only uh, thing I saw confirm is that there's one season for this year and the second season's next year. So they're cranking it out pretty quick. But I mean, Netflix has the money to do that if they if they want, right? Yeah, it doesn't say anywhere on here if it's going to be animated. Or, I, I'm assuming it's going to be live action. Wait a minute. Part of the announcement, uh, blah, blah, blah. This new studio, WoW Unlimited Media, would be teeing up with Netflix to create the animated series. I was not done then. Oh yeah. Okay, so this makes a lot more sense for it to be an animated series, and I think has a lot more potential. I think. It's also... It might be really, really cringy for them to try to do a cinematic experience with a, you know, a, a, an animated palette. Like, it could be really cool. Because I saw something else that he was... He referenced, like, Akira being a big influence. And I don't know about the feasibility of that for a TV series. Netflix has money. But that's a very short turnover time. Like this year, Akira took a long time to make. I also don't think there's much of a benefit outside of like artistic appreciation. There's no real reason to do a hand-drawn anything like that. It's just a creative choice that... Is it going to be like Ruby? Because that's going to be bad if it is. What's that? I don't want... It's uh, Rooster Teeth's uh, anime cel-shaded like machinima show that's on Netflix. Oh, sounds terrible. Like it's that hyper cell shaded uh rendered graphics that makes it look like an anime hmm. but it's a tv show okay like some people i know are like into it i guess but i don't know that's real weird doesn't, doesn't strike me I, i'm curious to see how this works out you know he 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 came out and he addressed i'm glad he addressed uh the fact that there are these expectations from video game fans but then there's also pressure from the studio and from investors to create something that is going to translate properly to to television like this um, I think there's a lot more room to play if it's going to be animated. Um, but he addressed, he said, you know, uh, look at something like Dread, which when you look at the comics, it you know, it, it wasn't a, a straight adaptation. It was kind of taking the spirit of what Dread was, which was more of a, a like political commentary than like an action uh, sort of, uh, bu- you know, package. But then they turned it into this action movie, this really stylized action movie, but it still was true to the essence of what, Dread was. And again, he he was the executive producer on that film. So he said Dread was kind of a, a departure from the comics, 
uh, based on the source material because you could argue the source material was more of a political satire than it was an action script. Okay. Dread amounted to be a wall to wall action movie. And because it was a perspective on a character in a universe that came from someone uh, who understands the world, it felt authentic. That's totally cool. I have no arguments with that. What is this guy's role again in both those, both these products projects? Uh, so uh, again, he was executive he producer the, on dread executive producer. Okay. And, on, and is he producing on this, this also? Yeah. He's the showrunner. Okay. Yeah. Essentially, he's the executive. Because, like, you know, it's very hard to really nail down who has what say in these kind of projects. The producer has the power. Producer has the power. Unilaterally, the producer is like the top. Like, you you go investors to executive producer. But, like, choosing a director, like, it's it's easy to blame Zack Snyder for the, the DC movies. Right. No, look at who's producing those movies. Because they have a lot... I, I say I don't know, but I'm saying your producers are the ones who have all of the creative power. They say yes or no, and they can. The director very rarely has the power, but he's the one like like the producers calling the shots, but the director's taking the shots, and the editors like cutting the shots. Like it's a it's a whole chain of command kind of thing. So I just I, I just wanted to know like what this guy's role was. And how well that translates to his current role in a TV show, because that's a completely different, sure, you know, process, and probably even more so with an animated TV show, right? Like, are they good? Are they going to be relying on storyboards? Are they going to be relying on a script and then animating around that? Because there are multiple ways to approach a, uh, an animated show as well, right? I mean, it all starts. It all starts with your script, and being a showrunner or an executive producer or whatever is, you know, you've got often veto power and influence over every every sort of stage in the development process that's from from pre-pro to you know just writing the script mm-hmm. to production itself to the final product when you're in public like you you were there for everything and your hands are all mm-hmm. over it so it sounds like this is probably the right guy for the job if if anything is going to is going to kind of work and not be a total embarrassment like there's no good video game media outside of video games, right? There, there are no good movies. There's certainly no great shows. The closest thing you can do is a book. And even Honestly, then, like a book translates the best, in my opinion, from a video game and even to a video game. I think it has translated the best, but I don't know why that shouldn't be the case because there's so much more you have to add when writing a book. There's so much more detail. It's a, you, it's a very long format though. Right. So there's, you, you obviously have a lot more room to play and you get into all this detail and can expand upon the characters that usually, and we haven't seen uh, real video game TV shows yet. I'm not counting the Mario brothers super hour or whatever that was called. Right. right. Or that Zelda TV show that was an abortion or Sonic, a Sonic, anything really. <laughs> I don't know why the, did, did you know it was a Kirby show? Yeah, I watched it. That was a good cartoon, actually. It was and, pretty cute. Uh, Meta Knight had like this, like thick, like yeah, Spanish like accent. Oh, he's Spanish. Accent. I think it was yeah. a thick Spanish accent. Yeah, that, that you know that tracks. Uh, it's like a weird conquistador. Yeah, it's, what the fuck? That's canon, bro. <laughs> Dude, that's sick. DDD was great in that. Yeah, I remember that. I watched that show. Um, what was I watched it on? a lot of those cartoons? I think it was WB. I don't understand why video game movies haven't worked. I don't get it. And people say, oh, it's because video games, you, you're tell- taking longer to tell a story. I would argue that you're telling the same amount of story in a video game as you are with a fucking movie. It's just because they've they've only made bad ones. It, it makes way more sense to tell the story of The Last of Us in a two-hour movie than it does over the course of a 12-hour game. Yeah, Last of Us is basically just uh, Children of Men or The Road. Absolutely. But again, it's because no, just no one's done a good 
good fucking job. I think the closest we've had is probably the Warcraft movie that was massively successful in like China, but it wasn't like a great movie. It wasn't bad. It was just a mediocre movie. It was massively successful in China because it looked good. Uh, it's yeah. a completely different market. I mean, you got 1.3 billion people over there. I mean, it's a little bit easier to to sell to that large of a population, I guess, in some in some regards. It, honestly, that's true. If you and I had a $10 million marketing budget, we could literally probably get a million butts in seats for anything. Anything. Just mm-hmm. because it, it's so dense over there. It's like... And, I, and now that uh, many more things are allowed as far as entertainment goes over there now, there's like a this this demand, you know, and it's clamoring for all. So that's why they're making all these uh, all these remakes and reboots and sequels and stuff. It's like I think Max and Andy were talking about this on their pod. A precipice between two hills. Go check it out on iTunes. Uh, they were talking about this. It's how we're getting all these really fucking hackneyed remakes and reboots because China didn't get any of these movies even a decade ago. They weren't. This global market wasn't a thing. And so now you can just kind of push out like the point break remake. You can just shit that out and ship it over there and you're going to make trip your money back and it's going to be a success and it doesn't have to be a good movie. And movies have always been kind of like that uh, yeah. up to a point where they started off as, you know, adaptations of plays and books. And then they kind of evolved into like their own kind of thing and they developed their own genres. And it's been kind of iterative since then. And nostalgia is just an easy bucket to go to. And it's, if you have $10 million and you want to make a movie, the easiest way to do that is to look back and be like, I'm going to make that movie again. Yep. But with people that are relevant now. Exactly. And with a soundtrack that we can license and get butts and seats because of the trailer. Sort of a depressing reality. Although I, I'm not necessarily a fan of the whole argument that Hollywood is, has run out of ideas. I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of great stuff still coming out of Hollywood. Uh, it's just that's what people want. We're so inundated with like all this v- various forms of entertainment now that it's like the, the 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 great unique stuff is is fewer and far between, or at least it seems that way. It's less known because there's less of a market for them. Like you get great movies coming out all the time. You get really weird kind of you know, Swiss Army Man came out last year. The Lobster came out last year. Nobody heard about those. Nobody cared about those because they weren't remakes. They didn't have the budget to market them. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure people like those movies, but you can look at the data and you can see that they did not do that well. So there's not a, there's not an incentive for movie makers to go out and make those kooky movies and push them to a large audience. Like really the only, the only people you see doing that are like the auteurs. I'm having the worst brain fart of my, my life right now. Pulp fiction. Tarantino. Tarantino. Tarantino can do that. Tarantino hey, won't do a remake. His shit still makes money though, which is crazy. Christopher Nolan is one of the few people that can kind of push the boundaries and make a movie that is kind of daring as far as Hollywood standards, right? Uh, and, and be massively successful and yes. be hugely successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inception was this like it's a it's a smart quote unquote movie. I was very entertained with it. It's not like some indie movie that was like trippy and oh, what the hell was that? But like that's a a daring movie for a big like Hollywood triple a kind of uh, treatment. James Cameron too, to an extent, if he ever, if he ever makes another avatar movie, (laughs) we've been hearing about those for years and years. He's supposed to make five more. Uh, we're we're, we're now a decade removed from avatar just about, but by the time the next one comes out, it'll be a decade. What's up with those blue cats? They're still boning under that. tree. I I still defend that movie. And I think it's, I, I, 
we don't need to get into that. It is um, nothing worse than mediocre. Ugh. And its best aspect is not going to be that impressive from now on. I also agree with that. The visuals, it was, that was really why it did so well. But James Cameron, everything he touched, touches turns to gold. It's like the, it's like the, it's like the prequel trilogy, but with like an okay story and there's only one of them. What the story did, <laughs> it did really well. It just kind of iterated upon something we've seen a million times. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it is fine. But I also like those characters didn't stand out to me at all. The sure. only character I can name is the one that is said funnily by that blue, that big blue woman. Sully. Sully. I'm like, what was that? And I know that, uh, what Sigourney Weaver, was she in it? Yeah. Her, her being ancient. But those characters didn't stick with me at all. They were just completely flat. Sure. We could, we could spend another podcast talking about yeah. the, the, the pros and cons of Avatar. I still defend it as, as, uh, not as a modern masterpiece, but. but hit you, hit you at a right time. Also. I mean, that's true. But as far as like science fiction fantasy, like we weren't getting that sort of thing. This was still like before Marvel had like they had Iron Man and Hulk at that point. It was during a lull. Yeah. So we had this like insane sci-fi fantasy epic and it was just like, I'd argue one of the, one of the best of, of its kind in that decade. There's, there wasn't a lot. We didn't. I don't know. Inception came out two years after that or three years after that. Two years. Yeah. What is that? It's not, how do you classify that? You think it's sci-fi? sci-fi. Okay, I wouldn't argue with that, but it's not what I would think of as a conventional sci-fi. Yeah, and uh, Avatar I mean, is, is much more like fantasy than it is sci-fi. You know, it doesn't I, uh, lean on the the aspects of the technology as much as the sci-fi film would. Right, it's, it's much more of a fantasy, like a Star Wars, you know, high a fantasy. Star Wars is 100% fantasy. Yeah, There's like almost nothing sci-fi about Star yeah. Wars, except yeah. there being lasers. That's the most <laughs> sci-fi thing yeah, I It's in space, it's science fiction. No, it's not science fiction. It's it's a, a high fantasy in, in space. Anyway, how do we get here? Also, another thing, kind of slightly related. I'll pull it back a little bit. <laughs> okay. I was I was browsing Reddit, and the first uh, time I heard about Castlevania being on Netflix was on the sci-fi subreddit, and the top comment was, "How is this sci-fi?" <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, you know what? They're very valid. Castlevania does not really dip its toes into the sci-fi. They kind of did with a couple of the games where it took place in the future. Like and a medieval fantasy. Is like, well, no, like there's a, the, the cool thing about Castlevania, the timeline is that it takes place like on earth and in history. Hmm. And there's actually a point where it overlaps with Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula. Yeah. And there's like some kind of kooky shit going on there. But uh, two of the games, uh harmony of dissonance no it was the game boy advance and then it had a ds sequel aria of sorrow yeah aria of sorrow and then the sequel to that i don't know the ds one yeah something of sorrow also but that takes place in the future and your main character is a like a reincarnation of dracula okay and i don't know so that could potentially dip into science fiction because you know future stuff yeah, but I, I don't mean, think maybe. it does. No, you have a gun. Guns aren't very medieval fantasy, man. You have a gun. Yeah. What? Yeah. I haven't played enough Castlevania. I mean, there's two games that you have guns. Jesus Christ! There was also like 40 Castlevania games. So, oh yeah, there's a lot. Konami was cranking them out for a long time, and then three years ago they stopped selling, so they stopped making them, and now Konami doesn't really make games. But they're also making Bomberman. 
So who knows? I have no idea what's happening with Castlevania. I hope that game is good. Bomberman, like, please, I need some good fucking couch co-op with a Switch. Please be a I'm good sure it's game. Gonna be, it's going to be okay. I'm worried it's going to be a cash grab and it's not going to be worth the investment. Like, Bomberman was never like this huge, amazing game, but it's, it's like one of the coolest uh, kind of multiplayer games that were around back then. It's remembered very fondly. Yeah, it's very like just the gameplay loop in in and of itself is a is an arcade game incarnate on a console, which is what people wanted. Right. So, I don't know. I literally just bought um, Bomberman for Game Boy Advance like three days ago because I was running through um, some emulators and playing some uh, some games, totally under the shadow of the law. And I started a uh, Bomberman tournament. Badman. And uh, I got like two minutes into the game. And I was like, okay, yeah, I need to buy this. This is really cool. Is, so is it, it, is it like, a game worth Bar- playing on your own? It depends. Each game is different. Okay. It's one of those, it's one of those characters and play styles that you can kind of shovel into any game you want. Like I have a Game Boy game that is a literal RPG that just has Bomberman in it. Oh. And then he has a side scrolling game that's just a Zelda game. Or like a mix of like Zelda 2 mixed with Kirby. But <laughs> your Bomberman. So it's it's a very versatile kind of kind of uh, game series. Okay. But uh this game has like a story mode and the story mode was like super just Game Boy Advance RPG, which is, you know, another word for super NES. Right. RPG. <laughs> super duper NES. <laughs> super duper. That's what I love about the Game Boy Advance is that it is like the one true sequel to the Super Nintendo, which is probably Nintendo's greatest console of all time. And uh, the more, like you kind of got me hooked back on the on the Game Boy Advance and like, dude, there's so much great content on that system that I didn't know about as a kid. And as a fan of the Super Nintendo, and that's been, I don't want to say my focus as far as collecting because it's so expensive. But like when I when I do decide to splurge on a retro game purchase, it's usually Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many great games, and I I love the 16-bit aesthetic, and it's just like, it's my childhood right there. The Game Boy Advance is like that experience, but so much more attainable. These games are dirt cheap right now for some of the best games on the on the system. And so, it, it's really great. And the worst thing I could say about the Game Boy Advance is that its best games are just Super Nintendo games. Literally ports. <laughs> literally ports, so... A very common thought experiment that kind of started popping up a lot uh, after the NES Classic was revealed or announced was people were saying, "Oh, what would an SNES Classic look like? What would a an N64 Classic look like?" But I immediately went to you know Game Boy and Game Boy Advance. Yeah, Game Boy actually is pretty tough. Like it's hard to kind of find thirty worthwhile and good games Bro, on that system. I just there's some there's some rough games on Game Boy. Tell oh, you that right now, but there are so many games that you're bound to have some just trash titles. Yeah, that'll happen when a, a console's out for 12 years. If you count the Game Boy Color as just another Game Boy, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's got a lot of games. I just had an idea for an episode. Could we do a whole episode on creating like Super Nintendo and 64 Game Boy Game Boy Advance Classic, like just the four, just the four titles? Yeah, we could do that. I'd love to do that, especially if we just did it off the top of our head. Oh shit. Like don't study beforehand. That's tough. We're not we're not breaking down why we think these games should deserve it. We're trying to convince each other. No, we should take off Secret of Mana and put on Super Mario RPG and have the guns blazing. 
<sighs> we should do it. Well, let's plan for that next week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do we, this episode, I think, was was great in a lot of ways because we really just fucking Jesus Christ, what happened? Yeah, it's also like two hours. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna cut a lot of it and try to make it a little more concise, but. Um, but no, I thought I think that was good. Uh, I'm excited. I want to do that episode now. G- dude, the GBA that could be the, our introduction into the series that we may or may not be planning and may or may not ever do. Yeah, it'd be cool. What's that series going to be called? Well, don't say because it. we were we were getting a lot of shit on uh, on Twitter about being the console crusade, but apparently I don't own any consoles because apparently handhelds are not consoles. So we're the home console crusade or the handheld console crusade. <laughs> so, but I want to talk about the Game Boy Advance because I've got a shit ton of Game Boy Advance games now. Yeah, and you do. kind of a byproduct of that. I've also got quite a few Game Boy games, actually. Game Boy Color games. You got probably a bigger like Game Boy Color than me game or Game Boy Collection than I do. I probably got like 40 Game Boy games. Oh, you definitely have more than I do. Holy Christ. <laughs> It's just like the ones like worth getting like Kirby games, the Donkey Kong Land games, because I never played those in comparison to the Donkey Kong Country games. Jesus. Got some Pokemon. We got some Mario's, the Mario Lands in particular. I don't know. There's a lot of them, but I wanted to do a more dedicated podcast, sort of a love letter to my handheld experiences, especially Nintendo, but I wouldn't mind going into like PSP. I owned a PSP. Liked right. it. Or even... Uh, I don't even know if it's worth talking about like the the Game Gear or the, the Atari Lynx. I've heard that there's some worthwhile experiences maybe on those, but it's the attainability of them and it's like Yeah. It's how's that relevant the, to you and I? Yeah, and I don't have the nostalgia. Like it'd be interesting to look back on it as like a you know, I've got this experience with the Nintendo version. Let's see what another company was trying to do and why Nintendo was vastly superior. Because right. apparently it was. At least price-wise, that's why it sold so great. But I wanted to do a handheld, targeted uh, podcast, tentatively named the Pocket Crusade. Fuck yeah! Uh, our original, your original idea that we had, had actually started developing, and, and all we had to do is sit down and just do it because we've already done all this preliminary research and and work put work into it. But the original uh, incarnation of this idea was playing through. Every Game Boy, not playing through, but playing every Game Boy Advance game ever uh, in order, you know, uh, going by release month. Mm. Um, And I think I still might end up doing that, but just be a lot less thorough, like not even play enough to have talking points and like write some notes like, oh, this game had like a cool sound right here. Like not even that. Like like what I ended up doing was I stopped playing Bomberman because I wanted to buy it and own it. So now I own it and I'll play it on hardware. But then I started playing another game that came out the same month, which was a Klonoa game. Oh, yeah. And that was really weird to get used to, but I'll probably never play that game again because I didn't like like it that much. Sure. Your time and is valuable, man. You have to, don't force yourself into something you don't want to do. Especially when there's like, what, 1,200 games that came out on the Game Boy Advance? Yeah. Like, that was the time. That's when shovelware hit its peak. Mm-hmm. You got a, a game for every movie that came out, every Disney franchise, every Cory in the House Lizzie you know, McGuire had a game and a fucking sequel. I was actually going to get you a uh, a Santa Claus 3 game for the Game Boy Advance. Oh my Christmas, god, that would have been great. I couldn't find it on eBay anywhere. It was dead out of stock. Damn. But then I was looking at that, but then you know what the better game was? Was Buddy had actually a better game 
for for Elf. Really? Yeah, Elf had a game. See, these are the kind of things I had no idea about. And I want to do this series just to experience some of this, you know. And like you got a taste of it in the 90s, you know. You got Super Nintendo and you got Cool Spot, which is the spot from 7-Up. And then you got like the, the Tool Time home improvement video game where you're Tim Allen and you're sh- like shooting drill guns. I, yeah, I need that game. But it peaked. Tanya. PS2, Game Boy Advance era. Yeah. Was was just a, a wash of them. Well, don't discount the fucking Wii, bro. Now, the Wii had shovelware because there was like there was still a lot of them. And there was still a lot in DS even. But then that's when it started to slide off and die off. Right. Well fuck, man. I think that we gotta end it there. This is this episode is gonna I've got such a busy like next five days. Fuck. I'm gonna have, gonna have somebody this is gonna be my priority. You no, know you do? You no, know you do? What do I do? You just export it as is. Fuck no. You ranting and raving. Fuck me no. Me eating bread. No. Nope. being just a bunch of silence. It's not going to happen. <laughs> They're going to hear this part of it and and wonder what could have been. Oh, we'll save that for the for the outtakes at the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, these will never see the light of day. Uh, we've had some good conversation uh, before and after the we recorded uh, yeah uh and so you know, things that no one will ever hear unfortunately um anyway dude this has been the fucking console crusade podcast i don't know what just happened over the last two hours and 37 minutes ah uh,